0: Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, right? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those are if and they're first-class fulfilled conditions in the Word of God. It's if and there is. Whatsoever things are true, right? If and it is, right? If and it is true. So wonderful thing. It's interesting, too. Um, some of these, like I say, what I, what I normally do in this little thing here is I'll sit—and I call these—these these are the blue chair notes. That's usually when I just sit in the chair and open the Bible. No no reference blogs, nothing. I just sit there, and God speaks to me. Then there's times I get up and sit at the desk and really dig things—yes. But most of the time— uh, the things that he gives that are very, very personal to me. And all of it is too in one sense, but personal in the sense of it's the thing that I need right at that moment is the blue chair. And it's interesting too, when when my my will meets God, what does it meet? When we think about it. And that's the thing that he's always after, right? Uh, so when my will Meets God What does it meet? Okay, so I have questions And we said this too uh, This is Was it Wednesday? We said this though too When the person asked the question Then is it ever okay To question God And the thing that God brought to my mind Is this, it's, it's never wrong To question God It's only wrong to doubt him. It's never wrong to question him. It's not in, in a lot of senses, but it, but it is wrong not to trust in him, right? It means that I can for instance, when I question him, it can be I, I want to know. Do you ever like that? And there's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's just I want to know in that sense. But in either case in e- either case When we ask the question, and it's doubt, has my will met him? And in that sense, am I giving my will over to him with doubt? No. Doubt is the revelation that I'm still holding on to my will, and it hasn't been submitted to him. But when my will meets him, or in other words, when my will submits to the how, how, or why? and where where are all the hows, and where are all the whys met? and who met them? So when my will meets or submits to God, then what does it submit to? It submits to the answer to all the questions. And the one answer to every single question that we have is Jesus Christ. Really. And that's one thing, and we've said this before, too. It's one thing when we're in God's presence and we're all by ourselves, And he's, it's whether we're questioning him, uh, and I mean in a good way, and we're in his presence and he's filling us. And we've said before, that's meekness. And meekness is who I am when I'm all alone with God. I'm meek. And also meekness means this that I trans all my rights all the rights that I had outside of Christ <laughs> have all been crucified, so the only right that we have is to approach God in the answer that God is and that 's Jesus Christ that 's meekness that 's what meekness is it means that i don 't struggle <laughs> and i don 't argue with God I have I settle in me the fact that his ways are perfect. So Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, his, his uh, work and his plan is perfect, and Psalm 18, verse 30, his ways, his ways, his absolute ways are perfect, right? And perfect simply means they're complete. And is God complete in himself? <laughs> And who is God? What's the first essential description of God's nature? God is love. So God is complete in himself, and having given us the Son the answer to everything, has he completed us. And the, the truth is is that He has completed us. Now, meekness then, is when I truly begin to receive in His presence. But humility is who I am in Christ before men. That's who I am. In other words, I function in the answer that Christ is to me, love, right? And has love answered to everything? Has God, who is love, answered everything and dealt with everything? And he has. And so that's why, again, it makes it very, very clear in the scriptures that humility now is who I am Before God around, listen, the saved and the unsaved. (laughs) Do I live in the reality of the answer that Christ is towards me? Now, 1 John 4.10 makes this statement. 1 John 4.10, as we've seen and we've heard uh, at different times. I can remember as far back as the first house that you had, Mike, and, and preaching on. 1 uh, John 4.10. That had to be, what, seven or eight years ago. And we preached on 1 John 4.10, where it says, "Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son, the propitiation for our sins. Now, has there ever been a time that God is not who he is towards you and I? And God is? So has there ever been Has there ever been a time that God hasn't loved us? Now, I may have been living in sin prior to that. But did he love me? Yes. Yes. Did I experience it? No. No. Do you know why? Because God also, and I, I see, I try to stay off a certain thing on my phone, you know, because people post all kinds of bad things on there and there's a certain individual on there that posts all that God is just love he's nothing else, he doesn't want to hear anything else, God is love that's it God is love, yeah God is love but is he just yes. is he holy yes. and if God is love and he's holy, is his love a holy love yes. And what must he, what had he to do to make us equal in the place to receive a love that would be holy? What had, what had to happen? And that was Jesus Christ had to come in between us. And having already done that, that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, For of God in him are we, in Christ Jesus who is made unto us, who is made unto us, it says wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He's, what, is God righteous? Yes. Right. So, people can just live and do whatever they want, however they like. But is God love still? Yes. yes. But do they experience it? No. Now, for God to love us, What had to happen? His justice, his justice and his righteousness and his integrity had to be satisfied. And the only way that that could be satisfied (laughs) was the only answer that could meet and satisfy God the Father. And who was that? That was his son. And in answering... The need of his father's perfect righteousness and justice and holiness to meet that between the father and the son, and that's propitiation in its first, very first sense before it ever comes to us. There was an incredible love exchanged, and there wasn't any interruption in that love, and eternity passed when the son would at some point have to put on humanity. Yes, did he, did he say if it's possible in Matthew 26, verse 39 and 41, he says, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, your will be done. And what he was saying was not that he didn't want to go to the cross. But the fact that, can I, in love to you, and in love to all those that would receive me, could I go there and yet still experience you in my humanity as my loving father? And of course the answer to that was what? No. No. That's why he cried out, and we've said this before, why he cried out in Matthew 27, verse 46, fulfilling the prophecy, That David wrote in the spirit of Christ, in the spirit of Christ, in Psalm 22 and verse 1, in the spirit of Christ, he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Did he who was the answer get an answer from God? No. And in one sense, he didn't. In another sense, the answer was all that wrath that should have been yours and mine went on him. Now, let me ask you, is that love? Yes. Does God love us that much? Yes. That he would have his son come in and take the place? Now, in propitiation, the love that was exchanged between the father and the son, the love that was exchanged... Was propitiation the sin question was dealt with, the whole sin question was dealt with. That was dealt with. Whether anyone would receive the fact that Christ paid for their sins and became their substitute, thus thereby being reconciled, was in, in, in propitiation. The issue was satisfying the Father. Period. That was between the Father and the Son. And by the way and paying for our sins on the cross, the only part we had in that was all our sins were put on him. So that was still between the Father and the Son. But at that point, for all that would receive him, in John 1, verse 12, that would be the power of that love that would cause them to be the sons of God. And even that was between the Father and the Son. In their love manifested for us. And that's why it says, here in His love, not that we... Loved him, but that he loved us has everything been settled? Yes. I mean, do we honestly? And are there times now that we have received this love? How many times, and how many have experienced His love this week or the next? Yeah, experienced His love. Right. You, you, you and I were in a place to receive it. But even when we weren't in the place to receive that love. Was he loving us? Because can God separate who he is from how he loves us? Well, you know, when God the Father gave his son, he was giving himself to us. And when the son, Christ, gave himself to the father, he was giving himself to the father because why? He is what? For us. For us. And the fact that I don't receive the love or don't experience the love as a believer in Christ doesn't change the love. And by the way, it doesn't even change the efficacy of that love because it's already been answered. The cross was the answer to every single question that you and I could ever have. Every single mystery, every single question, every single why, every single how was settled on the cross. That's why Paul would say in Galatians 6 verse 14, God forbid that I should glory. What does it mean for you and I to glory? Well, the only thing we can do when we don't glorify God's answer, Jesus Christ, is glorify ourselves by questioning. That's right that's all we're doing when we question. We think more of ourselves than the very love of God in the very answer of his son that is nothing but force. And by the way that the whole time the whole time that we may that we may be against him, the whole time that we may be against him even in our experience, nothing changes about his love for us. Not a single thing. Not a single thing. Not a single thing changes that. Not one single thing changes it. It doesn't. Why? Because love has answered on both sides. Love is completely answered. There's not a single thing that God has against us. Did you know that? Why do you think he wants us to be be in a place where we absolutely receive constantly? Constantly. Because when we don't receive his love, what are we receiving? What would we receive if we don't receive the answer to his love for us? What's the only thing we can live in? The doubt of questioning, which is always motivated by fear. Now, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given. Notice that? God has not given us the spirit of fear. Questioning, God has not given us the spirit of fear. You know how many times you question God because it's what is it motivated by? Fear and doubt. We said in again on uh, Wednesday that in Romans fourteen, verse twenty-two, it says, "Happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows." Now, why do you suppose it says that? I'll tell you why because it says in Romans 8 verse 31 God is for us and then it says in Romans 8 verse 35 who can separate us from the love of Christ and then in Romans 8 verse 37 it says we are more than conquerors in him that loves us how about that is the man that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows so when i fail or when i sin should i run from him am i running from a judge how many think that god right now because he's we live in the answer of his son, when we face him at any time, even in our experience, never mind literally in the future, that we face him as a judge or do we face him as a father? And when we do wrong and when we, do, when we sin and when we fail or when we hurt, should we question him or should we fly to him? Because in both cases or in any case, does he love us? Yes. Is he going to love us, or does he love us? Has there ever been a time that God has ever separated, separated us from how he thinks about us? Has there ever been that time? Can God separate how he thinks about us from the essential nature that he is in love? Is there any separation in that? Does God think outside of himself? He doesn't. He has to get us to think outside of what we're not. He's always trying to get us to live in the thoughts of his love towards us. Because there's never a time that he doesn't love us. Does he have to discipline us at times? Yes. But even that, what is it? It's a loving father. That's who it is. No wonder it says in James chapter 4 and verse 8. And look what it says. Draw near to God. Who is God? God is. Draw near to God. No, wait. Stop and question whether he loves you or not whether he's for you or not, whether anything that you have done could separate you from that love, or anything that hasn't conquered that love that loves you and I. No. Happy. Happy is the man that condemns not himself and that thing, that he allows and we should always draw near to God result listen to this draw near to God how do we draw near to him by questioning him holding on to our will or giving our will over to him draw near to God love and love God's love personal love for you and I will draw near to us as near and as close as we need it and then we cleanse our hands you see, we cleanse our hands, not by questioning him, not by flying from him and running from him and hiding, but drawing near. We cleanse our hands from sin, and then what? We purify our hearts. You what? devil minded No longer think outside the thoughts of God's love for us because he doesn't see us outside of how... And what he gave is the answer for his love for us. Well, who am I before God? Who am I before God? On my best day or on my worst day, who am I and who are you before God? Who are we? How many did say it? Go ahead. who are we? We are Christ before God. Did you know that? That's right. Not in terms of his deity, but in everything and who he was in his humanity as the God-man. We are literally Christ before God. He doesn't see us outside of he who was the answer that accomplished every single thing about the will of God. Not a single thing. Not one single thing. Not a single thing. Has he left anything undone? Before we had any questions, before we ever had any need or any questions, was there any question that's, that we might have that slipped his mind? What would it be that would cause us to question him? What would it be that would cause us to question him? I'll tell you what it would be a lot of times. Guilt. Mm. That's right. Now, for a Christian, let me, ask, let me say this to you. Is that a lie? Is that an imagination? Yes. It is. It's a lie, and it's an imagination. Well, how, do you, how can you say that? Well, I can say happy is the man that condemns, not himself, and that thing that he allows. In Romans 14, 23. Two. And verse 23 says this. And he that doubts. Now, what do we doubt what causes us to doubt? Is it the truth? No. Then what would it be? A lie. It'd be a lie. It would be an imagination, something that's not real. And How many times do we live in our experience in an imagination, imagining what God thinks about us when we fail? And I don't want to fail. I don't want to have my worst day i don't want you know i don't want to i mean how about the father of our faith at the end of genesis the 16th chapter he's 89 years old then there are 13 silent years father of our faith 13 silent years whose silent years were they on the part of god's or abraham's abraham's because you couldn't wait for god he sinned he failed He didn't wait for the promise. He tried to accomplish it on his own. That's another reason why we question God. That's right. Because we try to accomplish his plan by ourselves. And you, Not usually, all, all the time. That can only end in sin and failure. But you know what it says in verse 17? And When, when Abraham was 99 years old. Look what it says. God appeared to him. And how did he appear to him? God is love. And God appeared to him 13 silent years on his behalf. And God said to him, I am the Lord, what? Your Your God. Stand up and walk, what? Perfect, complete before me. And what was it that completed him? The love of God. His faith would look forward to Christ's coming. Now that he's come, our faith looks back. We all have the same answer. The Jews will have the same answer during millennial reign. We have the answer as the church. We have that answer. So, and he that doubts is damned if he eat. Is that positionally or experientially? experientially. Of course. And he that doubts, doubts what? The love, of God. the love of God. I don't want to sin, and I don't want to have my worst day. But guess what? Does it change his love for me one iota? No. Will he go back on the answer of his son? No. You and I might, he never will. That's right. He, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, just waits. Just waits to be gracious. He just waits to be gracious. That's all he's doing. And that's where his love flows. It's the only place his love can flow through. Through him, who is the answer. In John 1, verse 14, he was filled up with all of what grace and truth is you know that's what flows in that love nothing nothing but grace and truth flows through the love of God nothing but grace and truth flows through the love of God not another single thing not one other single thing does it does that happen It all flows through because the only answer that God has for you and I is Christ. That's it. Does that solve every question? Okay. How about this? Has God? How many believe that God has taken care of our eternal future? Literally, that when we die, where are we going? Right there. Yeah. Usually the Bible says we're going to be with Christ. That happens to be heaven. But the first and foremost, we go to be with hope. Yeah. Right. And we live in the fellowship and the exchange of the answer of his love for us, each of us personally, for all eternity. Has that been taken care of, honestly? Yes. So he took care of our eternity. And eternity, what's all around time, by the way? What does God inhabit in Isaiah 57, verse 15? Eternity. He inhabits eternity. And what's all around time? Eternity. And he can't take care of me in time. Because I'll tell you, that's the place we question him. That's right. That's right. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If you think that's the truth, i got news for you. You don't. Listen. You and I, and I don't care what relationship it is, I don't care what it is or how we relate to one another, it doesn't matter. It is not against flesh and blood. Not to us in Christ, it's not. It's not. Because everything about us has been answered in Christ, the very love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father with us in him. No wonder he told, no wonder he said... When he met Mary, when Mary met him at the tomb, when she thought he was the gardener, when he met her there, and she didn't know who he was, but boy, she sure did when he, she heard her say, she heard love speak her name. That's right. Isn't that awesome? She heard God's answer, love, Christ, speak her name, and no one could say it like him. And that's when she said, my God. And then, she, of course, she wanted to keep him there. And he said, no, you can't keep me here. You can't keep me here. I have to go. And in my love that died for you and dealt with everything about you, is now I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to intercede for you with my love. With my love. That's what he's going to do. But then he said this. But I I want you to be the first. You're going to be the messenger. And I want you to go tell my disciples something I repeatedly told them all the time. But they're in the upper room. They're scared to death. They're living in fear. They're not living in love. They're living in fear. They're not living in the answer of love. They're living in the questioning of doubt. That's where they're living, in the upper room. And I'm going to go and I'm going to meet them there. And I'm going to especially meet Thomas. Thomas, you know, when you see it in the Bible... When you see Thomas in the Bible, he's a type of doubting Israel. That's who he is—a type of the nation of Israel that doubts him. But then, it, but, and he said, "Not till I see him. Not till I see this, the nail prints and the, and, and the, and the mark in his side. Not, not till I see him. Well, I believe." He's he's doubting Thomas, the nation of Israel. And it's interesting. In Revelations 1, verse 7, it says, Every eye will see him. Behold, he comes with the clouds. That's all of us. So many multitudes coming back with him. It blocks out the sun. That's what it's saying. Behold, he comes with the clouds. It says, And every eye will see him. And they which also pierced him. That's the Jewish nation. And they'll wail because of him. Mm. They finally see him. (laughs) Oh, no in a great way too at least of have 144 of them representative of the true Israel but he said I'm going to my in John 20 verse 17 I go to my father and your father Look, notice what he said I'm going to your my father who loves me and your father who loves you and I'm going to my God who loves you and to your God who loves you Because why? Because everything that could have separated us from him. And by the way, when he died on the cross, I'm I'm telling you, he answered and dealt with every question that you and I have. That's right. Did you know that? He's dealt with it all. And not only that, he fulfilled all our obedience. Why do you think we need to give our will over to him constantly? I mean, did he look? Did he fulfill all of our obedience? Did he? See, the only one in John 4 verse 34 to fulfill the will of God you see it in Hebrews 10 verse 7 and 9 you see it in Psalm 40 verse 7 and 8 you see it crystal clear in the scriptures you see it very very crystal clear very crystal clear there his love for us and that's why David could say it's not that he didn't have his questions, and again, it's not—it's not wrong to question God. If your question puts you in a place where you're going to receive, it's wrong to doubt God, and that—if that's what motivates our questions, then what is that? It's fear, right? And is that obedience? No, <laughs> it's disobedience, right? And what we the experience that we get to have when we receive his love for us is we get to experience we get to experience all of our obedience fulfilled in Jesus Christ that is for us and that's why we have to submit that's why God wants us to submit our will to him he wants to do that and he's training us to do that he's training us to do it you know and then finally, for now, we see, and, and I'll read these last scriptures here, and we'll just close. We're going to keep it very brief tonight. And in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what it says. And this is why it's so vital for, for us, that, for God to have our attention and our, and our complete focus, especially when we come together to hear the word of God. And this is why. Because this is the place that he is doing this in our experience. In First Corinthians 13, verse 9, it says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. In other words, we preach. We tell these things in part, the best way that we can. Because we're still in a world of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin, by the way. No one has to sin. You see that in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, clearly in the original. We do not have to sin. We do when we give our will over to to the flesh don't we we don't have to sin we don't have to live in disobedience we don't but it says but when that, but for now we know in part and we prophesy in part but when that which is complete is come and this is to us experientially in measure then that which is in part will be done away answers constantly answering all our questions Constantly answering all our questions. When that which is a perfect answer, complete in itself, when that which is come right now, experientially, then that which is in part, the part that questions, will be what? Will be done away because actually it is. It is. When I was a child, oh boy, mm. oh boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh, boy. Young people, oh, boy. Young people, please, oh, boy. Listen to some older people. When I was a child, look at what it says, when I was a child, I spake just like a child. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I said things that I shouldn't have said, right? I understood as a child because I was my only thing me I'm my only life it's all about me I'm a child I understood as a child and I reasoned and I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things you know why and is it childish in in this sense to question God the more the older we get the nearer we get to facing the answer, as we'll see here, the, the less and less those questions are. They're, not, they're no longer questions. It's just the desire to be with him because his desire in John 14, verse 3, is to have us where he is. And where is he? Is he being loved by the Father? Is he loving the Father and are they both loving us? Well, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I actually thought, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, when I became mature, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Don't want to face them. When we don't want to face Him, we'll question Him. When we don't want to obey Him, we'll question Him. Some think that they're living, some may think that they're living in disobedience to others that are over them. You're not. It's disobedience to Him. It's that simple. It's that simple. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then. Will I know even as I am known? Do we think that God wants us to face him in every single situation? And how can we face him without Jesus Christ? And have we been placed in Jesus Christ? When we don't want to face him in reality, when we don't want to face him in what we know we should do but still don't do, when we don't, do we? are we in face-to-face contact with he who loves us in our experience? No. But then face-to-face, now I know in part, but then will I know, even as I am known. Why does he want us to give his will over to him in obedience? Mm-hmm. And now by faith... Hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And by the way, it's not charity. I slipped. I usually don't. It's never charity. It's always agape. It's love, not charity. God doesn't give us things to make himself feel good. He doesn't. God is love. It's it's an absolute choice of his will. So until I submit, and finally, till I submit my will to him, Till I do that, then I'm always going to do, and we've repeated these things. I'm always going to live like the Greeks do, and you know what the Greeks do? They say this: "Man, know yourself." Huh? That's right. Know yourself. You think there'd be any questions there? Trying to find out. The Roman says this, and you can see it all through their history. By the way, the Roman says this: "Man, rule yourself." Yeah, we can rule ourselves outside of His love. The Chinese says, man, improve yourself. All their philosophy and all those come in these short little things. Man, improve yourself. That's what we're going to try and do outside his love. We're going to try and improve ourselves. The Buddha says, man, annihilate yourself. If only I could kill this thing in my life. Or finally, I can't handle this anymore. Just kill me. Really. Is that God's thoughts? Is that God's answer? The, the, the Brahman Brahmas says this man merge yourself into the universal sum of all things you wouldn't believe how these things have infiltrated what is called supposedly called Christianity in Christian books in Christian bookstores the Muslim says man submit yourself and we know what that means or else <laughs> submit yourself but this is what Christ says without me Without my love, without the answer, me being your answer, you could do nothing. That's right. But the the man in Christ with his will submitted says this. I can do all things through him and through his love. And his love makes me mighty. His love makes me mighty. So Father, thank you for the word. I just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, I am thankful for each person here, for those whose will are submitted to you, and I'm thankful for those whose will are submitted to you who operate in love towards one another and not in a will. I can't love you, and you can't love me if your will is not given over to him. If we live in some form of disobedience, known disobedience, when we do, we cannot say that we love God, even though he loves us and nothing will change that. Listen, God's love is holy love, regardless of what some people have been putting on certain things on the internet. God's love is holy love. And God's justice had to be fulfilled at such a cost. And we are not our own. Thank you. Listen, First Corinthians six nineteen and 20. You and I were bought with a price. Love bought us. You know why love bought us? Love bought us to love us. We can't even do it ourselves. We have to receive his love for us constantly. And receive the fact that he loves others. And finally, so that we never—we stop living in the delusion of self-security, a satanic delusion based upon a lie and an imagination. So thank you, Father, that when my will meets you, submits to you, the hows, the whys, the questions go, they're all in the answer—him who's answered every single question. Just thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.